God gave you 100,000 watts of power, but it's up to you to put them to work. This is the John Adams Radio Show. Bringing you truth, justice, and the American way of making money. I'm John Adams. Seated firmly in the free enterprise chair, speaking directly into the golden EMR microphone, this is Excellence in Money Radio. Coming to you live from an undisclosed location in a bunker somewhere in the southeastern United States, perhaps Southern Command Headquarters, on beautiful St. Simons Island, the crown jewel of Georgia's coastal empire. <clears throat> Thence broadcast 23,300 miles directly into outer space. This week affiliates, SATCOM 5. Thence rebroadcast all across the fruited plain to our vast EMR network, 331 stations plus the island of Guam. That's just the way it is. I am thrilled to have you with us for this special edition of the John Adams Radio Show. Let not your hearts be troubled. We will solve your real estate problems today. And what a joy it is to be with you on this very special edition of the John Adams Radio Show. And I am thrilled to be here. Uh, hopefully, my picture is on. Looks like it is. I do need to warn you, the views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the opinion of station management, but they should, because this program makes more sense than anything else out there. I'm glad you have joined me today. I would remind you that as long as I'm here, it doesn't matter where here is. And special thank you to our sponsors today. Our good friend, Peter Burke. Now you have a friend in the mortgage business. Pick up the phone, call Peter at 678-557-9759. Federal Reserve reiterated this week, it plans to hike rates four times. Now, probably only a quarter point. I don't expect a major shakeup in the economy as a result. I think the market has already anticipated that. But I'm just telling you, money's pretty cheap right now. Call Peter, 678, what did I say? 557-9759. We appreciate his support. Sponsored by the 22 Landlord Survival Guide is out now. Margie, we need to get a picture of the 2022. Okay. And I would uh, begin by reminding you one of the things that you need to be doing as a landlord is 
a home safety inspection. Um, it's not a checklist for improvements or upgrades. If you don't handle this properly, your tenant and your inspector will come back, well, needs new paint, new kitchen, new heating and air conditioning, new roof. Of, of course they want all these things. That's not what, this is a safety inspection. What are we looking for? To make sure the smoke detectors work. I am stunned about hearing about home fires, house fires, and, and it's a it's a sad commentary, but tenants have a bad habit of taking batteries <clears throat> out of smoke detectors and either using them in a remote control for their TV, the flipper, or to silence them once they've gone off. We recently heard about a terrible house fire in uh, an apartment building fire in New York. The residents, and there were six people who died. <clears throat> what a terrible loss of life. And the residents um, afterwards said that, yeah, they heard the smoke alarms go off, but they ignored them because they go off all the time. That's not good. Okay, so one of the things you need to be doing is checking to make sure that the smoke detectors are operating properly. Um, you need to worry about your overall liability. And that's a topic that uh, Ian and I have covered before and we will cover again. But remember, you have a duty of care as a landlord. <clears throat> you can't just rent to somebody and say, hey, you're on your own. You have a duty of care. We have had attorneys on and talked with us about that, um, and we will continue to do so. But you have some liability here, and it can be pretty serious. Um, one of the great things about a home safety inspection is it allows you to get eyeballs on your investment and find out how is this tenant treating my property. Uh, if you don't go in, and I still think you should, whether you do or don't, take pictures. Tell the tenant in advance that the insurance company is requiring a safety inspection, um, and it is primarily to um, address safety issues, and that uh, you are required to take pictures to submit to the insurance company to show, for example, that there is a smoke detector um, functioning in the <clears throat> apartment or the house. Uh, it also allows you as the owner or more importantly as the property manager to discover that there may be pets when, whoops, they forgot to tell you there were pets and they're not paying the non-refundable pet fee and they're not paying the pet rent. They just took the pet in because they were trying to be nice. But the fact that the dog or the cat is pooping all over your house is not their concern, apparently. So you're also looking for damage. You're also looking for new tenants that are not on the lease. Um, if you send a technician, make sure that technician knows not to discuss 
the inspection with the tenant. Because the tenant is going to say, hey, uh, I can't get this to work. Can we get a new stove, please? I'd like a newer refrigerator with an ice maker. Uh, I'm sure you would. The technician should say, I'm sorry, I don't know. And it's, you'll have to talk to your property manager about that because I really don't know anything about it. That's the correct way. And then, of course, it's up to you to follow up with those results. But the fact that you've even done a safety inspection um, indicates that you are exercising your duty of care. So word to the wise, okay? Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But th this is what happens if you start using the killer lease. You rent faster and easier and for more money, and you don't go to prison, and you have less turnover. Also, it keeps your tenants happier. Stop being the owner. You should be the property manager, and we'll even teach you to go digital. If you're using the GAR lease, now's a good time to quit. Why? because it is designed for real estate agents to protect real estate agents. It's not designed primarily to protect the property or you as the owner or the property manager. So if all this program did was help you collect one month's rent more than you otherwise would, what would that be worth to you? Yikes, rents are up. We're gonna see that a little bit later. So. Uh, it's $197, and you can find it at, you better check, realestatecoffeebreak.com. Go to the store if you're going there. Who is John Adams, and why should you list? Look at that handsome devil. Um, there are a number of reasons. I've been a property manager in Georgia for 40 years. That does not by any stretch mean I know everything. It just means I've had a lot of experience doing the wrong thing. So I can tell you what not to do. Uh, I've been a successful investor and an entrepreneur, and I've been a licensed Georgia broker apparently since 1977. Is it 77 or 78? I'm not sure. All right. Oh, I think you're right. Margie thinks it was 78 when I got my broker's license. We'll have to double check on it. In any case, it was a long, long time ago. Um, bum, bum. No complaints so far from the Real Estate Commission. I've never been arrested, never been bankrupt, although I have been close. I'm not going to tell you which. Uh, I did write the Landlord Survival Guide primarily it started as a three ring binder for me to give me a set of rules to go by so that I treated everyone the same. That is a real important goal you should have if you have more than one property. It's real important that you have policies and procedures in place I mean, they don't necessarily have to be in writing, but without having them in writing, you'd be hard-pressed to prove that you have them. Policies and procedures in place so that your system is designed to treat everyone the same way. And that will 
help you avoid all kinds of troubles that we don't want to get into. Last but not least, I am an Eagle Scout, and that means I am trustworthy. So glad to have you along today. This is your real estate coffee break. Remember what Warren Buffett says, if you don't find a way to make money while you sleep, you will work until you die. Well, that's not good at all. Oh, no. Um, so let's find a way to make money while we sleep. I believe that for most people, buying their own home is one of the best investments they will ever make. On this program, I advocate what I call the buy and hold strategy. Some people call it B-R-R-R-R. Is that right? B-R-R-R-R. Brr. Anyway, I just call it buy and hold. You buy a house at a price, hopefully below market value. And yes, that can be done today. Number two, you renovate that house. You repair or enhance the home. Might be as little as a coat of paint. Then you rent the house to establish cash flow and income. Buddy, that's easy to do right now. Six months later, you call Peter Burke and refinance the home based on the new improved value, and you refinance for cash. You pull some cash out, pay yourself back for the purchase or whoever you borrowed the money from, if you borrowed it, and you buy more property, and you find another house, and you repeat the process. How often do you do this? I recommend once a year. You're saying, wait a minute, if this is so good, why don't I do it once a month? Well, I'm assuming you have a daytime job. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. It's entirely up to you. I used to, I was a bill collector. Yeah, I worked for Southeastern Credit over at Executive Park. I was a young executive at Executive Park. I wore a tie every day. How about that? So, folks, what I've just described to you is not rocket science, and I want you to understand that, okay? Let's see here. Um, I want to, first I want to remind you, let me stop sharing for just a moment. There we go. I want to, oh yes, I am wearing a pink shirt. I want you to understand that as we approach the month of February, I will be demonstrating that I am in touch with my feminine side. And that's what this is all about. I think it looks pretty good. I, you know what I've always said? It's better to look good than to feel good. And we do, don't we? Okay. If you don't look good, you can't feel good. That's, that's the way I feel. So anyway, um, I wanted to remind you of a couple of things. First is that we have a cruise coming up a year from right now. What is today? The 29th? We'll be on the ship right now. Is that right? 
That is correct. One year from today, you and I will be on the Carnival Freedom sailing toward Puerto Rico from Miami. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Eight days and eight nights of great food, fun, fellowship, relaxation. You get, uh, you know, what? if nothing else, you get one of those drinks with an umbrella in it. That's really exciting. When was the last time, Margie, what, what, do you ever serve drinks around here with umbrellas? Uh, no, I don't have any umbrellas. See? That proves my point. That most people go through their life without an umbrella in their drink. But you have earned an umbrella. So go right now to expocruise.com. E-X-P-O cruise.com. Expocruise.com. And say, John, I'm interested in this cruise. We've already got about 15 people, and I'm we're going to have to cut it off at 20 because there are only so many cabins. So you better get moving. Those of you that have already contacted me, I have acknowledged, I hope, your inquiry, and we will be getting you this week details so that you can make your decision as to whether or not you're going. But we will get all of you information this week. Why am I doing this a full year ahead of time? Because we caught Carnival's rates when they were at the very bottom. Do you see how I did that? Well, I guess I should do this. Look, now here's where we caught the rates. And what's happened since then? They've gone up. And so we've locked in these super low rates. I mean, the prices are great. It is cheaper for you to go on this cruise than it is to stay at home. And the food's great and the fun's great. And we're, our destinations are pretty cool. Where are we going? St. Martin? Um, I think we're going to St. Martin. Destinations don't really matter. Yeah, Margie says, and, and she's right, the destinations don't really matter. At least they don't. We've been... We go sailing at least once a year, and it's a lot of fun. And uh, if you have not been on a cruise ship in the Caribbean, you don't need to worry about um, seasickness. We took a cruise to Alaska one time, and when you get out from behind the inside passage so that you're exposed to the Pacific, all of a sudden the boat's going like this. I mean, that's it's... That was exciting, but um, not in the Caribbean. You just don't have to worry about it. And it's safe and it's fun. And there's a million jillion things to do. And if you want to go into the port, you can go into the port. If you don't want to go into the port, you don't need to go into the port. It's entirely up to you. So anyway, um, expocruise.com if that is of interest to you. Now, um, oh, let's talk for just a second about uh, people have been telling me 
that they are concerned. By the way, if you do have a question, please click on Q&A and enter your question there, and we'll get to it um, later in the hour. Um, and a lot of people have been saying to me, hey, I know it's 2022. I know that there's a lot of things going on, but with interest rates going up, are we going to see home prices finally come down to something reasonable? And I just want to talk with you about it for a minute because I think you need to know what's happening. Are we headed for a 2008 style Great Recession repeat where the home prices come crashing down? And here's the good news for you and for me. Today's strong housing market is radically and fundamentally different and far healthier than it was in 2008. And I believe it could chug along for many more years, just like it is now. I do not see um, I, I just don't see the possibility of a 2008-9-10 style recession. Those days simply are not coming back anytime in the near future. So um, let me give you some reasons why. Number one, there is no credit boom going. A credit boom is where they just give away money, where lenders become reckless. There's too much money chasing too few buyers. What do we have? Just the opposite situation. You can't get a no-doc loan today. There are adjustable rate mortgages, but no one is selecting them because why would you want an adjustable when we're at or near the historic bottom of interest rates. There's no mortgage fraud going on to speak of, and banks have been uh, have adopted or actually been forced to adopt by Fannie and Freddie and GSEs much more stringent lending standards than existed in 2008. And that's led to the lowest ratio of um, real estate loans to total loans for commercial banks since the 80s. Basically, FDIC got together um, with the Federal Reserve and said, we want banks out of the home loan business. And that's one of the reasons it's harder to get a loan today than it was in 2008. So typically, the boom and bust crises are most often rooted in lending bubbles. The decline in real estate lending suggests that the driver of today's bull market is not speculation. I think it's a consequence of the supply and demand imbalance, and that has been literally 10 years in the making. Number two, we are experiencing a huge shortage or shortfall of homes for sale. Now, how did this happen? Well, in the Great Recession, builders were hit pretty hard, and uh, it took them a long time to get back on their feet, if they came back at all. A lot of people just left the business and said, I don't need this. And so as a result, during that 10-year period, the supply of new homes fell 
well behind the mounting need for the demand that arose simply from the growth in the number of households. You know, during that period of time, we continued as a nation to grow in population. As long as people are still having babies, we're going to need places for people to live. This, look at this chart. I think this is very interesting. Here's 1972. This is a year that I graduated from high school. Okay. And this was the highest year of new housing starts, I think, ever. Two and a half million new homes uh, and didn't quite reach it, got close. But, you know, we've had ups and downs since then. But look at this. This is 2006, where we sort of hit the top again and got up to a little over 2 million new homes a year on average. And then look what happened as the recession came in. This was that recession, this gray area. And all of a sudden, the this is the current level, is right here. And this is what we need to just keep up with demand. But look where what happened. For a period of almost 10 years, from 2009 to 2000, well, until right now, it's taken us all this time to get right back up to normal. And about 1.6 million is what we ought to have. But the problem we've got is this, folks. Right here, you see the big green star? Here's the Great Recession, and this area right here is the shortfall. And that's still hanging on. That's between 5 and 10 million homes that weren't built, that should have been built, and we still have people wanting to buy those homes. And so reason number three is that homes are affordable. Now you're saying, wait a minute, wait, that, that homes are so expensive now, they're not at all affordable. When you take into consideration the mortgage payments that people make based on these low interest rates, the median home payments haven't been this low as a percentage of household income since 1984 when the series began and probably for 20 or 30 years before that. I know it, it doesn't make sense to say homes are very affordable, but people's incomes are way up and yet their housing payment is way down as a percentage. I know it's hard. It's hard to think about buying an entry-level house for $300,000. Hard to think about spending two twenty-five dollars on a rental house. But the numbers work. And I, the prices are not coming down. Look at this. Price increases have been more than offset by wage increases and low interest rates. So yes, home prices have gone up. However, the actual cost felt by the homeowner has been more than offset by wage increases and low interest rates. 
So between January 2000 and today, real house prices have gone down 26%. I know that's hard to believe, but as a percentage of household income, it's true. You can think of that as house buying power. So even at today's high prices, homes are a bargain when you factor in the low interest rates and much higher wages and income. You know, one of the things we are now seeing as a result of COVID is that a lot of people did very well financially during that time period, not least among them homeowners. And I hope you're one of them. I hope you're 10 of them. So consumer house buying power in, uh, this was in 2020, it's now 2022. Then it was three times what it was in the year 2000. Very interesting. Okay, um, number four. There is a ton of equity sloshing around out there. Now, this is where we get down to one of my key concerns, which is that I think we are headed in this nation toward a, a country where either you do own real estate or you don't own real estate, because it is getting harder and harder for first-time buyers to make that jump and it is particularly difficult for people who do not have a family history of home ownership to discipline themselves and put off other things and buy a house. Margie, you remember when we bought our first house? Of course I do. I wanted a new Cadillac. Huh. I was in the real estate business. Everybody else had Cadillacs. But did we get a Cadillac? No. No, we bought a house. We bought a Why did we buy a house instead of a Cadillac? Because they sort of cost about the same thing. <laughs> because we buy houses. We, we buy houses, houses. And, and my folks owned their house, your folks owned their house, and we come from families where there is a family home ownership tradition. If you don't own your own home, you, you just don't have the stability that you might otherwise have. And so we went out and leased a Chrysler, what was that, LeBaron. And, and the payments were only $94 a month for a brand new car, nothing down. And we bought a house and we bought more houses. Some of those houses we still own to this day. But my point here is that for people who do not have a tradition of home ownership in their family and who are not being told by family members, don't remember, you need to buy a house as soon as you can. Um, it's real tempting to go out and buy a new Cadillac or a Tesla or something like that. And I see people every day on 285 driving around in their net worth. 
So the people that did buy a house, look at this, they have an equity buffer right now. If you've owned your home for the last year, it's probably worth 20% more than it was a year ago. How's that? And because prices are up so much, no one, almost no one is underwater. Do you remember a few years ago, we were always talking about how many people are underwater, how many people owe more on their mortgage than the house is worth. You don't hear that anymore. And that's because their equity in the house has increased so much. And in the event they wanted to sell, it'd be pretty, uh, because we have such a low inventory market, it'd be pretty easy for somebody to sell, even if the house needed some work. So there's the equity buffer. These are all reasons why home prices are not going to crash. Have you heard from the media lately that we have very, very low delinquency levels? Well, we do. The delinquency rate for FHA and VA loans, which is where your greatest risk is, because those tend to be first-time home buyers, is as low as it's been in years. And, and things are recovering. Um, there's just, if, if you looked at foreclosures, there are almost no foreclosures. And there's a variety of reasons for that. One of them is this, number six. Everybody said, well, uh, um, most home loans are in forbearance right now. And um, um, when those go off forbearance, there'll be this huge wave of foreclosures. Prices will come crashing down. Wrong. Not only is there that equity buffer, not only are we in a supply and demand nightmare, but the CFPB, Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, has issued rules to mortgage lenders and said that they have to give borrowers at least three options for bringing their loans current. If somebody has been on forbearance because of COVID and they're coming off of it, there are rules. And the, the rules say this, that a mortgage servicer must take a few key steps before they can refer an account that's been delinquent for more than four months to foreclosure. And it, the, the, it's not considered delinquent if you were in forbearance. Okay, so what are these at least three options? One, resuming regular payments while moving the missed payments to the end of the mortgage. That ought to be pretty easy to do. Number two, modifying the loan's length or interest rate. That's a rate and term refinance, essentially or they have to give the owner the time to sell the home. And borrowers who want to modify their loans will be able to use a streamlined process, less paperwork. So I'm just telling you, I don't see this coming. I don't see a crash coming. 
My conclusion is that despite of a noticeable escalation of real estate prices and the drought in home inventory, the realtors report everywhere, there seems to be no signs of a real estate bubble. I know that's, that's hard to believe, but I'm just telling you, I don't see it out there. Okay. Homes are affordable. They are scarce. It appears to me that prices may have considerably more upside before they can be considered expensive. Everything else being equal. And what else are we talking about? Interest rates and household income. Income is up. Mortgage rates are up, but still very low historically. So I just want you to think about that next time you hear somebody say, well, it's all, what goes up must come down. No, there will be a time in the future when prices come down. But I don't think it's anytime soon. I, I really don't think it's going to be 2022. So, so much for that. I think the backlog in housing starts could take years to resolve, especially if construction activity slows down in response to higher costs for building materials. The other problem is that uh, it's harder, much harder, for home builders to find materials. It's harder for them to find skilled labor because the skilled laborers can sit at home and draw unemployment and make more than they were making before the recession. And banks are much more reluctant now to loan to builders than they were back in 2008 because they got burned and they don't want to get burned again. And so the banks could help, but FDIC won't let them. So, you know, there's all this stuff going on. All I'm saying is I just don't think home prices, existing home prices are going to crash anytime soon. Um, why don't we do this? Oh, oh, guess who's here? Two things. First, I want to share with you some information here from Peter. Um, and I had a technical mistake this week. What? Me? A technical mistake? The master of the computer? What What was that? Ha ha. That sounded like, what? what's his name? Nelson. Ha ha. Anyway, uh, let me tell you what the scoop is here. If I can advance this. Maybe I can't. Huh. I may be stuck. This is not good. Let's try again. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Bingo. So, um, Peter and I were talking this week and we had a really good conversation. We pre-recorded his segment and I can't find it. So Peter, I apologize. Um, but folks, you have to make me look good anyway. So call Peter. 
Right now is, if you have not yet refinanced, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because if you can just walk into Peter's attorney's office or, or whoever your attorney is, sign a bunch of papers, don't write a check for anything, just sign a bunch of papers, then your interest cost per month goes down. Why would you not do that? Don't say because it extends the term of the loan longer than you want. We can adjust the term of the loan to exactly what you have left. Yes, Peter can do that. Okay, so there are two components to your payment, your monthly payment. There's principal. That's where you're paying yourself, paying back the lender. No, that's not right. Principal is, is essentially you're paying yourself, okay, because you already own it. And then the interest is the actual cost of borrowing the money, okay? So principal, when you make a principal payment, that increases your equity. So you're paying yourself, okay? You're paying down the balance, and interest is the actual cost of borrowing. What should you be focused on? Lowering the cost of interest. Now, at the same time, I want you to think about principal because you don't want your principal payment to jump so much that it causes a financial hardship. But the real number to focus on for you and me is the interest. And interest is so low right now, you owe it to yourself to call Peter and talk to him. What would you do with money that you pulled out of refinancing, either your house or some of your rental property? Pay off credit cards, pay off auto loans, pay off home equity loans, resolve medical debts, student loans. I've never had a student loan, so I don't know that much about it, but call Peter. He knows more than I do about student loans. You also, if you are paying PMI, private mortgage insurance. FHA calls it MIP, just to be confusing. But anytime, typically, when you borrow more than 80% of the value of a, a piece of real estate, which is the collateral for that loan, you are required to pay monthly private mortgage insurance. And that insurance is to protect the lender against you defaulting. But if you refinanced and were able to get a better lending situation, you might be able to eliminate that. Likewise, a lot of people right now are refinancing to pay for repairs and improvements because they've decided to stay right where they are. Uh, if you would like to get a refinance guide, call or text Peter Burke our sponsor at 678-557-9759. The guide is going to walk you through the pros and cons of a home loan refinance, whether it's your principal residence or your beach property or your mountain property or your rental property. But it'll give you a better idea of how to make the right decision while long-term rates are at historic lows, and they still are. Now look at this, this just came out last week. I thought it was interesting. These are all the industry 
economic geniuses down here at the bottom. And this is their prediction for um, rates at the end of 22. And as you can see, SHEP thinks they're going to be three and three eighths for 30 year fixed rate mortgages. And they go up from there so that A. Bergeron thinks they're going to be four and an eighth. And the preponderance of people are right in here around 4%. And that's what I'm looking for. But we may actually get above that because this inflation thing is really concerning. And uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell has already said they're going to raise rates four times this year. And when that happens, you're going to look back and say, you know, I should have called Peter Burke. So just pick up the phone, call Peter at 678-557-9759 and say, hey, I want to get a copy of that refinance guide and I want to talk with you about my situation. Start the conversation. It doesn't cost you anything. And at least you'll have a friend in the mortgage business. Peter Burke, 678-557-9759. Okay. It is 10 till, and I'm going to um, introduce our very special guest, who is going to be Tyler Jones. And if I can find that. Oh, yeah. Where did that go? I, I know Margie is already saying it's not her fault. Right? <laughs> I know where it is, and I'm going to just calmly slide down here. Look at this. Here it is. All right. So everybody get ready. By the way, I want you guys to know that Tyler Jones, in addition to being a, a longtime friend of mine, one, the guy's a genius when it comes to computers and things like that. He just, uh, he has forgotten more than I'll ever know. But he has put together a team of top professionals that handle information technology, mostly, mostly for, Tito's gone berserk, mostly for uh, small business uh, offices of, say, 10 to 200. And uh, if you want to reach Tyler, there is his website, and he's happy to talk to you. So let's, um, let me see, make sure that comes up. It's loading. There it is. All right, let's watch this, everybody. And we are back. John Adams here with our very special guest, Tyler Jones of Carmichael Consulting. And we're talking about internet speeds. Uh, last week, Tyler, uh, thank you for explaining a little bit about the importance of, of uh, not only our upload, but our download speed, both of those. But this week, what is the solution? If, if you're in a situation, I, I saw an ad the other day that said 5G is coming. Don't buy anything. 
Um, if you have miserable or mediocre internet speed and, and you want better, but you don't want to have to pay 500 bucks a month, what is the solution? So there are some new technologies coming along and particularly for folks who are outside of urban areas, it's, it's a significant challenge for a lot of Americans. Um, and so there's a couple of evolving technologies that are going to have a big impact on this in the next few years. The first is cellular 5G. As that gets further and further rolled out across the country, that can have really high speeds north of a gigabyte. So it can wow. be incredibly fast. Now, there are obviously, as with any other technology, a lot of caveats to that. Depending on which carrier you're talking about, you may have to be pretty close to the tower. Uh, there's a couple that it helps if you have a tinfoil hat on and are licking the tower. Um, but it is going to be better than what we have now, and that will continue to get better as it evolves. The other big one, which is really interesting, is the low Earth satellites that uh, that Elon Musk is behind. Um, there's, I think Skylink is the service, and it is a net of these uh, low orbit satellites. But if you're in an area that otherwise doesn't have good internet access or may not have internet access at all, um, it's going to eventually be to the point where you can get around 100 megabit up and down and at a fairly reasonable price point. Now, satellite-based internet's been around for a while. The problem was it was prohibitively expensive and usually had really weird restrictions. They would only let you use like 100 megs per month and it had to be between 9 p.m. and 2 a.m., you know, really weird stuff like that. So we did have a couple of customers who had to use that because that was literally their only choice. Um, but these new technologies, 5G and satellite internet um, that reduce the problems that you've historically had with those technologies are going to be game changers for a lot of people. All right. I looked in the Atlanta area recently and you can get 5G, but you have to go downtown and stand within two feet of a Georgia Tech <laughs> campus or something. I, it's not real well spread out. Yet. Right. Is, is that going to change? It is. And it's certainly coming. You see the ads on TV. Those providers know that that's a sales point for them. So people will buy new phones when that new technology is available to them. So they're going to push. And there's certainly the companies are all making the investments to get that rolled out. Uh, and you're going to see it get more broadly distributed all the time. And that will continue to improve uh, as that technology gets physically rolled out. All right. Well, we're counting on something, and I think 5G <laughs> may be the answer, but I'm tickled pink with my megabit service indicator, but here on St. Simons, we're just not getting it yet. So we'll see. Right. Maybe, what was it? Didn't Google have some sort of balloon technology where they were trying to cover the world? Did, whatever happened to that? Yeah, it ran out of helium. Um, <laughs> Now, that, you know, there are a lot of people trying really creative ways because, let's face it, the Internet is so integral to all of our lives these days. When we're separated from that, uh, that is a significant challenge for a lot of people. And so there is a lot of creative thinking going into how do we make sure we get the fastest connections possible to as many people as possible. Um, and that's, you know, where billion dollar ideas come from. Well, speaking of billion dollars idea, uh, dollar ideas, I have one. I want you to write a book called The Simple and Easy Way to Compare Internet Speeds. <laughs> Maybe a multi-volume set. But <laughs> I, know, I need the simple and easy, just a checklist or something. Tyler Jones, Carmichael Consulting. Your firm helps small to medium-sized businesses 
as well as other uh, like enterprise type situations. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little about your company, how it got started and what, who you're, who you think you could be most helpful to. So I spent about 15 years in corporate IT and about 10 years ago, actually it'll be 11 years next month, I left to start Carmichael. I had worked in a lot of very high security businesses, so banking, payroll, um, things like that. And I knew that security was going to be a bigger and bigger concern to small and medium-sized businesses. So I wanted to take what I learned in big organizations, try and figure good ways to scale that down, make it affordable and usable for small and medium-sized businesses. And it turned out, I'm not right a lot of the time, I was right on that one. Uh, and security obviously is the driving factor for sure. a lot of people when it comes to technology these days. So we work with businesses from 10 to several hundred people, uh, and we really do try and do all of the IT that any organization needs. So we really want to be kind of a one-stop solution for everything from networking to computers to servers to clouds, uh, cloud services and everything in between. And so we really want to be a business's one-stop shop where they can make sure that all of their IT needs are covered and they can focus on running their business. Well, you are my uh, computer guru, whether you like it or not. There are people that depend on you here at Real Estate Coffee Break, and we appreciate your taking time to visit with us. If folks Delighted want to get over. hold of you and, and learn a little more about your company or maybe just had a quick question, how can they reach you guys? Absolutely. They can find us on the internet at carmichaelconsulting.net. We have a freshly revamped website they can go visit. Works great on mobile phones as well as on computers. And they can call our office anytime at 678-719-9671. Fantastic. Tyler Jones, Carmichael Consulting Solutions and CarmichaelConsulting.net. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk Thank to you, John. you real soon. Take Bye care. Bye now. All right, good. You got time. And we are back. You know, it's interesting to me. I mean, we're, we're spending all our time now trying to get faster and faster internet. Um, and no matter how fast we have it, it doesn't seem fast enough. So that, I, I don't know that that problem is ever going to change, but nonetheless, we'll see what happens. Uh, we're gonna take a very, whoop, wait, there we go. Um, we're going to take a very short break. Time to get a fresh cup of coffee. As you can see, I have a little left, but I'm going to warm mine up. And when we get back, we're going to be moving into our landlord hour. Um, let me look real quick and see if we have any. Um, oh, we do have some chat questions. Here we go. Only real men wear pink shirts. <laughs> I don't know that that's a question as much as it is a comment. Uh oh, I didn't turn the light on there. I like, I feel comfortable in my pink shirt. I don't feel bad about it. Um, um, let's see. Sleeping great every night. All right, good. Our friend George Kelichek is checking in, um, says hello. So um, anyway, why don't we do this? I'm going to, we're going to take a very short intermission.
this is as good a time as any to get started. And so let's move into our second hour. Um, and uh, to do, do this is January 29th. Glad to have you along. Somebody chatted that they wanted more information about our cruise. What's it all about? I am combining, I'm calling it the real estate marketing cruise. It's going to be about real estate because I like real estate as an investment. I like little houses. You already know that I do. Um, and so Margie and I are taking a group of probably 20, maybe 24 that will be in our smaller group. And we'll have some private sessions just with our group and some things that we're doing. In addition to that, we will be part of a much larger group called the Marketers Cruise. And it's about people that use the internet to market their goods, products, and services. And Margie and I have been for about seven or eight years now. And let me tell you, it's 400 people from 22 different countries from all over the world. They gather and go out and spend seven or eight nights on a cruise once a year. And you, there, there's only one rule, and that rule is no selling. So it's not like a pitch fest. It's not like these people are trying to get you to buy something. The, the goal is to, one, have a good time, and two, learn from other people's successes and failures. So if, if you've got an issue and somebody else knows how to fix that, they're going to share that with you. Just like if you've had a success in a certain area, you'll share it with them. Um, it's interesting to me because I have said for many years that real estate is one of the areas, one of the few areas where people don't mind sharing. Somebody, somebody said to me the other day, why would you teach real estate investing and have more competition? I believe in what's called the big tent theory and there's room for everybody under the real estate tent i you know what am i going to do own five thousand houses so i'm going to become invitation homes uh, no and i'm not competition for you and you're not competition for me there's plenty of room for all of us in real estate well if it if real estate is big, internet is even bigger because it's worldwide. And so we've got all these people that get together and we are, and we just have a blast and I want you guys to come. So I'm calling it the real estate marketing cruise. How about that? All of us do marketing every day of one sort or another. Certainly it's important when you're trying to buy or manage residential real estate. And we'll be talking about how to find good deals and things like that. By the way, um, Darlene Cockerell came with us um, one year, and we had a blast. A couple of years, yeah. 
and and her daughter and we had a blast um and other some other real estate investors um come with us and i just would like to open it up to you guys but you need to move quickly if you're interested in learning more about it now is the time to act go to expocruise.com that's expo cruise.com and I now need to do this and that didn't do what I wanted so let's see what's on the next I know I know it's all everybody's always laughing there um Ian's going to be joining me in just a moment he's there Ian, come say hello before we jump into uh, landlord rules. I'm going to stop sharing. There he is. How are you, my friend? Doing great, John. Just uh, really appreciate the pink shirt and also the good teaching that you gave in the first hour. The uh, um, it, it's always amazing to me to talk to um, Tyler Jones because, as he said the internet has become such a, a central part of the work that we all do. And my question to you is how did we get along without it? What, when did it come around? What 95 or somewhere back in there, 1990, I don't know when it started, but what did people do before then? They, they talked to each other, John, and they, they... <laughs> We, we got along. I think about that often. And, and sometimes it's good. And most of the times it is, but uh, sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming. It is. It, and, and the, the, you're right. Um, Margie and I love to go to New York and I like to ride the subway. I've heard that it may not be as safe now as it, as it has been. So I, I may not do that right away, but one of the great things about riding the subway in New York is you are in this um, car with maybe 150 people from all different walks of life, maybe from all over the world, and you have these sort of interesting interactions with them. Um, anyway, <laughs> now when you get on the subway, everybody's head is straight down looking at their cell phone. Nobody looks around. <laughs> You're right. It, it's sort of sad, though, when you look at that, you see a couple at a restaurant and they're looking at the phone and they're not talking. And I saw a group of girls that are teenagers and they're all looking at the phone and they should all be talking to each other. Um, but I get it. And, and that's the way of the world today. But we got along somehow. Somehow our parents got along and our grandparents got along. And of course, let's not all text and drive. That's quite dangerous. So, um, oh, I know. I see people doing it while they're on the expressway. Crazy, crazy. Yep. My fingers are too big for the. I, I'm not a texter. I I see kids doing it that can text faster than I can type. Which I, I I I have. I have raced my daughter from time to time and she can text fast and I can talk it into the screen. That's how fast she is. That's amazing. That's amazing. Ian, what happened this week in the world of real estate and landlords? You sent me 
a very interesting article that I have not had time to read. And so I'm going to ask you to tell us just a little about it. It said something like tenants were forming unions in response to corporate landlords. What was that all about? Well, John, somebody has decided that if they can get together as a group of tenants, then they can have some say to corporate landlords. Um, I, they said there was a lot of them, but I, I really, maybe I'm a little skeptical, but I, I don't see much more they can do with it, except maybe have a voice if it was somewhat organized. But I think the market controls more than anything. If somebody doesn't like the way you're being treated in a particular situation, we all can walk away and buy from somebody else. So, um, but, but the article did talk about how there are groups of people trying to get together as tenants, and I respect that. I just don't know how much bite they're gonna have because the, the no authority, but we'll always listen, right? Very, very interesting. Um, and I guess it's just a sign of the times we live in where everybody wants representation and and feels like they should be part of a group or something but again and maybe it's because you and i live in a state that does not allow things like rent control and as much governmental interference with landlord tenant relations as say in new york city um I, I have talked to people. It's interesting in New York to talk to people about things like rent control because everybody there is very passionate about it, either for it or against it. And obviously the people that are for it, I think are benefiting. <laughs> the people that are against it tend to be um, not benefiting, but um, it's just a almost a mindset that, well, government should take care of me or government should prevent you from raising the rent. And we are seeing in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, I think a very sharp increase in rents just in the last eight or 12 months. Have you seen that? Absolutely, John. It's a good time to be a landlord. You do a wonderful job on the articles that you write for the AGC and Fox 5, and you've pointed out that a buyer, it's, it's harder to buy a house, it's harder to be a tenant, and you are correct. But for a landlord, it is a good time. So um, it's like a balloon. You make it small in one area, but it's big on the other, right? Well, and I, I just, I think it is important for you and me to bring perspective to this program and say, hey, we've been in this business a long time. We've been watching the real estate market. Um, I never thought prices would get to where they are right now. And I keep hearing these people talking about a crash coming, a crash coming. And, and if I investigate them, either they don't know much about what they're talking about or they're selling gold and silver. Right. And, and our good friend, Robert Kiyosaki, who uh, I always enjoyed his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because 
the subtitle is what the rich teach their children that the the middle class doesn't or something like that and the thing i took away from that was think of your investments as long term not as short term get in and get out kind of things and i always thought that was a good message and i i thought a lot of robert kiyosaki but now he has sold his soul to this silver company and i'm not against silver i um if you want to have a few coins around i think that's fine but it's not i would not call investing in gold or silver an investment do you is that an investment i guess john it depends who you talk to uh, it's always been considered a defensive investment because somehow gold supposedly uh, will still be there if we have a nuclear explosion you'll still have gold <laughs> um, or something like that so that's always been it but um, our friend uh, Warren Buffett will say, well, what does gold do for you? What, what do you do with a piece of gold? Um, so I do understand, though, it's always been a hedge against inflation, as they say. But in 1972, when Nixon took us off of the uh, gold standard, I'm not really understanding why gold is still that important. But uh, Well, I suppose there's a scarcity factor. You know, I, I'll bet you, I, I don't know what percentage of guys that ask a gal today to get married will buy her a diamond ring. And Margie's got one, and I'm sure your lovely bride has one, and my mom has, I mean, you know, there's just a, it's like a rite of passage. And yet, come to find out that the De Beers company in South Africa manipulates the diamond market to to maintain scarcity so that we'll think it's a great investment. So I you know, I, I just at least with a house, I can live in it. And even if a atomic bomb blows it up, I've still got the land. <laughs> still got the land. But, you know, you asked a great question, John, and you talked about trends. And when you asked about these uh, tenant um, unions, I see four trends as you've had me read these articles. And I so much appreciate that with the Google alerts. And, uh, you know, when you touched on about other states and it's good to know what's going on. But we are very blessed in Georgia to be a landlord friendly state in San Francisco, for instance. Uh, they just have a new rule that. A, a landlord has to give 10 days notice before a violation, before they do what they call a three-day letter. All that meant is they get an extra 10 days of free rent and creating the violation. But, but you know what? That's something to keep an eye on. Most of our listeners are not in San Francisco. Um, but also I see a trend of Wall Street. Wall Street is now saying, hey, these single family houses, you can buy into it uh, passively. Um, you don't have to go see houses, make offers. I'm with you, John. Appreciate your training. But if somebody wanted to, they can invest through Wall Street. But I think another big trend about the housing that you talk about is building to rent. And now these developers are building to rent homes, not sell them, which that's something to keep an eye on. And then you brought up very well, and I appreciate the article you sent me this week on affordable housing. 
And that is the problem because rents are, woo, and there's Ian Rose trying yeah. to keep up with that and get that money. But there is affordable housing and um, the problems. And, uh, one, one of the things that, um, and I did send you an article on affordable housing, and it's centered around modular or manufactured housing. We used to derisively refer to them as trailers because, uh, you know, the fear was you'd be in one asleep and you'd wake up and someone was pulling you down I-75 um, against your wishes. Uh, and that's, you know, obviously no way to live. But it's interesting to me that America has never embraced the idea of manufactured housing as an alternative to what you and I think of as a stick-built house or a traditional um, hammer and nail type house. Um, and yet there's some real efficiencies of scale. I read in this past week that the average new home in America is in the range of $370,000, but that the average manufactured home, which granted is typically much smaller and does not include the land, um, but it's typically $70,000. And that is a tremendous difference. And I just, I still don't understand why we aren't able to house essentially everybody that wants to be housed in a, because I've seen the exterior of some of these, they're really nice. You go inside, they can be almost indistinguishable from a stick built house. Um, I'm sure if you're an expert, you'd know the difference, but just for the average Joe and Jane walking in off the street, these places are pretty nice. Well, and John, interesting you, you say that. I think the key word is land because uh, my in-laws happen to have some land and my brother and sister-in-law live in a manufactured house that is extremely nice. And they explained to me how it was built in the factory, let's say, and brought up, you couldn't tell the difference if you tried, and it was very efficient. But I think the reason you say it hasn't embraced, it's still a big business, just hasn't been as big as we see, you know, used to. It's because nobody has a lot of extra land that they figuring out what to do with it. Um, when you buy a house, you're also buying the land. Well, that, part of that goes back to what Tyler Jones was talking about, which is particularly if you are in a non-urban um, area, you may have a challenge getting internet. And the truth of the matter is, I think more and more people um, are in a situation where if they have good internet, they can work from home. And we're seeing a lot of people choose to do that, which is just interesting to me. As you know, I'm regulated by the Georgia Real Estate Commission, and I think they have in the neighborhood of 100 employees, and the vast majority of them have chosen to work from home. And the commissioner 
told me it has been a real win-win for the real estate commission because they can prove that the productivity is up. Their employees are happier because they don't have to come in every day driving in and out. They avoid that commute. They do have them come in from time to time. But um, I, my guess is that as we go forward, if Tyler is correct, and by the way, I've known him a long time, and he's always correct. <laughs> Tyler doesn't make mistakes. <laughs> uh, if he is correct, then the advent of high-speed internet into some of these rural areas that you're talking about could lead to some development in what you and I would think of as just rural areas that it may have been overlooked in the past, but offer some of that affordable housing. What do you think? Absolutely. If you bring the internet there, you can pop up, build a whole new community, and there's a lot of land there that's, that is undeveloped. So well, that's for sure. Some, somebody asked me the other day what was in Dublin, and I said nothing. They, they, they're not building, you know, they say they're not making any more land. They are in Dublin. You they want land, Dublin. buddy? They got it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure that I have just offended the Dublin Chamber of Commerce and the Dublin Economic Society, if there is one. So anyway, all right. They, they have umbrellas for their drinks and they'll be just fine. That's <laughs> Get your umbrellas and your drinks in Dublin, Georgia. Okay, I want to get your thoughts on some of these ideas. I'm first. I'm going to share my screen. Oh, oh, how did your? Uh, I meant to try to attend Thursday night, and I had another obligation, and I apologized. How did that meeting go? Well, John, we appreciated talking about the Landlord Survival Guide. I really appreciated just the opportunity to study it even more. And um, I think the group was receptive. We had a nice crowd. They had good questions uh, about your book. And I think we all learned something from it. And you've done a wonderful job. And I, and I really sincerely mean that everybody, it's, there's real value in, in, for $198, uh, you're gonna save thousands a lot of money from learning. I don't agree, as you know, John, and everything, and that's good. That's what you want, because um, it's a working, it's a working book, and you've you and Marjorie have now made it so it's very current. Something happens next week, uh, a day later, you'll be able to change the book. You, you can't do that on a static um, book that comes out every year. You know that was a real challenge uh, for years for us. We would somebody would buy the book. I'd send them the book and it said something that at the time of printing was correct, but since then had been changed. So for a while we tried to insert um, a little update, but people would lose the update and then be mad. And then we had errata. I found out that if, if there are errors in the book, you can include a page that says, here are the changes since the printing date, and that didn't work very well. Um, and now that we have gone to an online format, it allows us, as you say, to be up to date 
instantaneously if just as quickly as we can react so uh, a good example of that was the um, um, bill that was passed by the Georgia legislature and signed into law last year about uh, preventing um, um, eviction of a person who was the uh, subject of abuse um, and and typically unfortunately that is um, wife abuse or um, a situation where you know there's there's some rancor between a husband and wife and he gets violent she gets a restraining order and obviously I don't think any landlord would want to intentionally harm somebody that is in that situation but at the same time the rent's got to be paid so it's sort of a, a catch-22 there and um, when that law was finally signed into law by governor kemp we were able to very quickly get that information to our landlords and let them know hey you've got to be in compliance and here's how to do it so anyway here are some rules we've talked about before but i would like to just repeat them because I think they are good um, advice for everybody. And I'd sort of like your input on these things. If I can figure out, here we go, let me go back. There we go. Would you agree with me, Ian, that landlording is a business, not a hobby? Absolutely, John. And sometimes we become accidental landlords, but we have to recognize as quick as possible that it is a real business that has to bring in rents and uh, pay the bank. You know, I think, and I've only rented one time in my life. When Margie and I were in Savannah, right after we got first married, um, she was finishing college and I had been transferred to Savannah um, by CBI, which is the, the old Atlanta Credit Bureau. And while we were there, I didn't want to live in an apartment. I, I just prefer detached single family homes for the privacy, if nothing else. And um, I rented a house. I was amazed at how uh, the landlord didn't seem to care about the house. And in retrospect, I think he had made a business decision that owning the house, he didn't have to maintain it to the level that I wanted it maintained in order to do well. And he didn't. And I kept, huh? Right. So Margie just points out, so we did it ourselves. I painted the inside of that house. I made repairs on the outside. I, we made it look nice from the street. We did all this other stuff, um, but those are hobby type things. And from the business standpoint, it didn't make any sense, I think, for that guy to spend a lot of money on what we wanted done to the house. And this is one area I think we just have a perspective difference from our tenants. Everybody within the sound of our voices needs to understand that our tenants probably think 
that this is a hobby for us. And that's why they don't see it as important. They think we're rich. They think we must be rich because we own houses and they don't. Therefore, they have no obligation to do this, that, or the other. And we've got to disabuse them of that. And one of the ways that you have done that, Ian, which I really like, is you tell people up front, here's what's going to happen if you don't pay the rent. I can be flexible with you in a number of areas, but not in this one. And that puts people on notice that this is a business, not a hobby. So um, good idea there. How about this? Get a strong lease agreement. Well, John, thank you. We were reading that uh, on Thursday night, and we read a passage in your book about that you have 40 years experience of trial and error in the killer lease. And uh, I just want to thank you for the gift of the, the killer lease because it's strong, like you said, uh, and therefore, if you adapt it, if some if your listeners adapt it, they have something very solid to go into with 40 years experience uh, behind them. That That is incredible. You know, if I have done almost everything wrong at one time or another, <laughs> I think we call that experience. So to the extent that I have great experience in being wrong, <laughs> I, Happy to bring that to the table and, and share that. Um, and as you point out, there's no one way of handling your rental property. I, I think you have to take into account the property itself. You have to take into account the personalities involved. And you have to take into account things like the economy and now things like COVID. So, you know, we're constantly having to react to changes and one of the the basic elements of the killer lease is that um everybody is going to want to make some changes to it to reflect their own situation and i think that's good i don't have a problem with that um the basis of the lease is that it's there to protect the property and to protect the property manager. And starting from that basis, we go forward. But um, the presumption, of course, is they're going to have to pay the rent. And if they don't pay the rent, it's going to get unpleasant for everyone, especially them, and especially quickly. And you start talking about a 10-day waiting period in San Francisco, this is one reason I don't want to own rental property in San Francisco. What a nightmare. So and you're right, John, but you got to know your, um, your state and even attorneys are not licensed to practice in other states that they don't have a license for. So we are the United States, right? So uh, very much uh, makes sense to know your particular area. Uh, one thing, John, I appreciate what you said about Tyler Jones and, and the lease, and we have to react. Uh, I think Tyler is an excellent guest to have because technology so much has to do with our business now. Um, it's not your father's Oldsmobile and not your father's rental house um, and not your father's hardware store. 
you go into Home Depot and you can learn a lot very quickly. It It is remarkable um, the extent to which the internet and the computer and things like electronic fund transfer have really changed our business. Um, and I can only assume going forward that those changes will be accelerating. Um, it, it's, it's, I think it's harder than ever for a mom and pop investor to keep up with everything they need to keep up with. And I, I, you know, that's where I think there's real benefit in being part of an organization of like-minded individuals, uh, such as Georgia Real Estate Investors Association. Again, thank you for the work you do at the landlord subgroup of Georgia Rea and have these monthly meetings where people can ask questions. People can say, hey, how does this affect you guys? And you're talking to, uh, it, uh, I'll never forget the very first, this is before it was even called Georgia Rhea. It was called the Rand Group. And there were a thousand people in the room and I got there late and there was only one empty seat in the entire room. And I went and sat down, handed my little Barton and Ludwig card to the people on either side, like I'd been taught to do. And this guy next to me hands me his card. It was, you know, you always think, who am I sitting next to? This guy was Lon Day, the brother of, what was his name that owned Days Inn? Oh, wow. I remember Days Inn. Yeah. 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 So Days Inn on North but, Hill. Lon Day was the broker of Day Realty, and they handled the real estate transaction for the company everywhere in the country. And I was just sitting next to this guy, and it finally dawned on me who he was. Um, I think that's one of the real benefits of being a member of an organization is you can have interactions with people that not only are more experienced than you, but you also can potentially be a help to somebody who's just getting started. And Absolutely. what goes around comes around, you know, that's, that's what I've seen. So let's, let's move on real quickly. Um, make sure you take a rental application and perform full screening. Ian, why, why is this important? John, it's so important because you've taught and you are spot on that a good tenant is a very, very valuable asset. However, the, the caution is that a lot of people will come to look at your property right now. That is the nature of the market. With a simple ad, anybody listening to me could get 100 calls a week. And um, so you got to do some screening legally. But if done properly, so important because when you get a good tenant in there, life is good and you're going to be making money and lower stress. Other than that, it's a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want life to be good. And that's why we take an application and that's why we do screening. 
And the, the whole goal, of course, is to find the best possible tenant. I'm not trying to keep anybody out. I just want to find the person who is best matched to this property, who has the financial capacity and has demonstrated not only an ability, but a willingness to pay their bills in a timely manner. Because if they haven't done that, then they're probably not going to take care of paying the rent when it falls due. So that's the purpose there. Well, wait a second. One thing, Joe, John, that uh, in the Landlord Survival Guide, I appreciate what you wrote because I needed to read it at the time. It's not first come, first serve. In other words, I thought it was, and they want to tell me it was, and it's best qualified. So That's now right. you, you can't, you got to be careful if you get a, an application from somebody on the first of the month and, and you just keep waiting and waiting and waiting to, and you give them an answer on the 29th of the month. No, that, that's not appropriate. But if you get a whole bunch of applications, uh, then you, you do get to choose the most qualified. That's exactly right. And, and I've heard you talk about um, looking at an application and saying, well, this could be a match if we were if if the applicant was willing to pay additional security deposit or if we could get an additional cosigner uh or you know whatever um just because you offered it at a certain price does not mean that everybody who walks in the door is going to qualify for that and as long as you are doing this in a fair and impartial manner, uh, you shouldn't have any trouble with it. So where we get into trouble is where we start applying certain standards to certain applicants, but different standards to different applicants. And what I always bring up is, as you know, I have a long-standing distrust of people from Mars. Um, they've got that shiny green skin and uh, they have small hands. Have you ever noticed that? Everybody from Mars, small hands. They smell like cabbage. And that's why I don't want to rent to them. But that is a violation of federal law because um, you can't just say everybody from Mars, you're not eligible. So uh, we try to make everyone be treated the same when they come for the application, right? Well, John, it's going to be after our time, but Elon Musk that Tyler Jones brought up was talking about those low-level satellites, but he's also trying to go to Mars. And they asked him on a show one time, you know, uh, there's no atmosphere up there. and It's quite cold up there. Uh, what are you going to do about that? And he actually had an answer. He said, blow up a nuclear weapon next to Mars and it'll warm it up. <laughs> he said, Oh, me. You know, I, it would be easy to think he's crazy, except that I think he's a genius. I'm not sure. The richest man in the world. He's got something going on. And he lives, they say, I read an article, he lives in 400 square feet. He, he knows who he is, and he just wants to go back to work and go to Mars. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Has he been up in that thing yet? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I 
I know Bezos did his. I, I yeah. don't know if Elon did his own. Well, I was moved when I saw Captain Kirk go up with Jeff Bezos. And I, I was frankly disappointed that Captain Kirk did not have his uniform on. Right. But uh, anyway, the fact that he went, I thought was pretty cool. And he's, he's uh, getting along in years, I believe. So anyway. Well, you know what? They probably discussed it. I wouldn't be surprised if they thought about the uniform. <laughs> I, I think Paramount would have something to say about that. You know, I'm always amazed that people call the show and say, John, I've got a little rental property. I haven't had any rent now in six months. What should I do? Six months? First, your first job is to collect the rent. That's right. Ian? Well, you know, John, you were a bill collector, so I didn't know that about you. I remember you saying that, but that you know how to collect that rent. And uh, now we got to collect it early and often. And, and no, truly, we, we, we got to lay down the law before they even move in. And uh, what I think I learned from the killer lease is the discount clause um, makes sense because it's a motivation for people to pay on the first of the month. And it works. And I'm blessed with good tenants, good teaching, and they text me and let me know it's been paid. And that's just wonderful. Yep. That's the kind of text you want to get, isn't it? Um, you and I had talked about this before, but I want to mention it again. One of the rules that made it on this list is you or somebody should inspect the interior of every unit at least one time a year. Why would that be important? Well, John, I appreciate what you brought up on the first hour and specifically about the things that you're going to find, pets, damage, and I think a sad trend right now because of affordable housing is new tenants. And um, I think going in under the guise, that's the wrong word, under the responsibility of doing a inspection and you find a new tenant in there, um, you very much have the right to point that out and, and take very uh, important action. Either they leave or they need to leave um, because you can't have those new tenants. So I, I appreciate the inspecting for that reason. The other thing I was laughing out loud, as they say, LOL, um, technicians do not discuss um, what you find. I find that might, might really it's interesting. I thought that was a big deal, but I find a lot of my vendors get it. I tell them, but they understand. They'll call me from their truck, and then we'll have a good discussion. So that's been a good thing. Yeah. Well, it's um, you. A lot of times, you call the handyman, and the handyman is somebody who just wants to be friendly, and the tenant seemingly will almost take advantage of the good humor or the good nature of your handyman and say, Hey, would you, while you're here, would you do this? Or while you're here, would you do this, that? And the next thing you know, you've got this honeydew list of 20 things that the tenant has asked the handyman to do. And he said, yes. And now the tenant feels like 
you have made a commitment to them to do these things. I've had that happen. It's worse than that. The thing that drives me crazy is when whoever's doing the work or inspecting, they tell the tenant all about it, but they don't tell me. Right, right. And, and yeah, and, and of course, the tenant never passes that information along unless it's helpful to them somehow. Um, and, and as a result, the vendor thinks they've done what they needed to do. They've communicated, but it never gets back to the decision maker, which is me or Margie or Ian, you. Um, but I like your idea of having a, a good open line of communication with that vendor. All right, let's move ahead. Move in and move out checklist. I'm going to dive in on this. And then, Ian, I'm going to let you uh, comment on it as well. Folks, I want to remind you that under Georgia landlord-tenant law, a move-in and move-out checklist is presumed to that's signed by both parties, the landlord and the resident, is presumed to be definitive unless there's something else that the court doesn't know about. And the easiest way to protect yourself is to have a move-in checklist that shows that there's nothing wrong with the property. And why people don't want to do this, I don't know. It's simple. And basically, all you're doing is, and no, you do not have to do this with the tenant in front of you, you can hand it to them and say, we've already done the move-in inspection. We found no problems. You're going to be moving in. If you find any problems in the next 48 hours, let us know and we'll add them to the list. But we couldn't find anything wrong with the property and you're accepting it as is. And that works. But if you don't do that, the presumption is that the damage was there when the tenant moved in and you're not going to be able to charge for it. And it doesn't matter how awful the damage they caused is. If you didn't do a move in, you're going to have a hard time. Ian, what, what is it about landlords that don't want to do a move in or a move out checklist? Well, John, I don't know because I don't, talk to landlords that in depth about that particular issue, but I, I don't agree on one thing, and that is having you do the own, your own list. I don't mind when I move somebody in beforehand. I'll tell them, they make their list, and I'm around there with them, and we acknowledge those things, and it gives me an opportunity to do a punch list for them. It gets a good working relationship for the first couple of days or weeks, and then I disappear, and they they feel very comfortable that I've made an effort to fix some things and, and for them. And that move-in list starts a good relationship. Doesn't mean I'm going to fix everything and add the sauna that they've requested. But, <laughs> but it, you know, there's no sauna here. That's right. There is no sauna there and there won't be a sauna there. But, but so a lot of times it's very reasonable. Of course, if it's safety related, we'll get sure. right to it. Um, I mean, the other day I was, doing some insulation. I had no problem doing that. That was going to be great for the weather coming up. And that made tons of sense. I think one little tip that I like to pass along to our audience is something I call nothing here. 
Um, and what I mean by that, John, is that I make it very clear in writing that there's no debris around. I make extra steps, to, of course, to get a clean. Old furniture is gone, trash is gone, mainly old furniture. And I make them acknowledge it. So you're, they say, what's not there? And the answer is nothing is left behind. Right. Because here's, here's the back end of that, everybody. And again, I'm the evil twin. But if somebody was to call me up and say, Ian, everything's gone, my response is, and so when are you going to finish getting everything out of the house? Now, that's quite obnoxious, and I get that. But the point is, I've never gotten to the house, and there's not something there. There's so, always, always. always the and and the, my tenants get it all out of the house, but then they put it at the street in these gigantic mounds that the city will not take, and I have to pay for a special pickup to get, and that takes a week to get the boys out there and move that stuff. Um, I tell them that they have not moved out if there's any of their personal possessions or garbage left, I'm not going to accept the property back because they haven't finished moving out yet. How's that? Well, John, I get the key, so I'm going to take the property. But what I do is I'll put it all in the, in the basement or the garage and say, well, here's all your stuff that's left behind. Take pictures of it. But one time, John, I had this lady, and she did have a big Cadillac that you mentioned. And I knew there was going to be stuff there, and I was right. And it was at night. And I just loaded up her vehicle. I mean, actually, I put everything right next to her vehicle. I wasn't going to damage her vehicle. Okay, come on, let's get this out. Let's get this bicycle out. Let's get this out. And she drove away with a full Cadillac. I'll never forget that. And, <laughs> and she had told me two or three hours previous that everything was out. And they don't know. What I've realized is we're all very, that's how we're built. We don't see it. And, and so they think everything is out because of all the work that they've put into it. And they just, you, you they work that think. hard. You work that hard. Everything must be gone. <laughs> I mean, because I'm a mover, I can relate to that. And, and I understand it's hard for them to get everything out. And, um, but, but then when you get everything out, but I haven't even in my lease, I've added a little clause that my junk removal fee is $75 for the first piece. And then going up from there. So uh, that's where my uh, deposit comes in. Okay. That sounds to me like you've made a fortune off the uh, refuse removal over the years here. Uh, well, well, though, but you, you, the reason I do it is what you talk about in the book. Is it abandoned property? Does it have any value? So the, I mean, no, there was a diamond ring in that junky old uh, filing cabinet that you threw away in. Well, why don't you put the, di the, the diamond ring and the filing cabinet in your car and we'll all be doing a better day? <laughs> You're not kidding. I like it. And last but not least, and we've already talked about this, having a mindset that a good tenant is a valuable asset. Real quickly, would you speak to that? It's a pleasure and a delight when you get it right. It's just that's that's true. That Thank is you. so true. I had, you've heard me say this before, but I had one tenant whose name I shall not repeat, um, who stayed with me 26 years. 
and it, it was just great. I mean, this guy, I never heard from him. And the only complaint I ever had was I got a phone call from Decatur police um, one night at about two o'clock in the morning telling me that at this particular property, somebody was on the front porch playing the bongo drums. So I called him and asked him, was he playing the bongo drums? And he said, yes, but that it was a one-time funky occurrence. Okay. And he never, that was never a problem again. And uh, that's the biggest problem I ever had was the funky occurrence. But I don't know what caused it, but it was just one time. And in 26 years, he got one strike. So Yeah, but John, if he was playing the bongo drums with a good tune and he was doing a good job, the neighbors might have enjoyed it and would have called the police, but he just wasn't good at it. So I, He did it for a living. I... He, I figure he had to be good at it. I, you know, as I think back over my career as a real estate investor, I don't know that I've ever had another tenant who was a bongo drum player. Um, what didn't Desi Arnaz, uh, uh, Ricky Ricardo, wasn't he a bongo player? He was the band leader. So he hired the bongo player. Okay. Okay. But John, right. I did I, I did have a lady who worked in the strip bar, um, and her mother had eleven uh, husbands, and they paid the security deposit in one dollar bills. And I came home that night, and I had some explaining to do. <laughs> you got some explaining to do. Oh dear. Oh dear. Good old Lucille Ball. Well, what can I say except? Uh, uh, it was a great show while it lasted, and this has been a great show while it lasted. Ian Robbins, as always, thank you for your assistance. You make my life easier, and I appreciate it. And uh, I think it's time for us to get out of here. And I'm going to start by saying that's a 3-0 Mark four. The John Adams Radio Show of the Real Estate Coffee Break. And on behalf of Ian Robbins, my evil twin, this is John Adams reminding you that your financial future is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. So long, everybody.